Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where those who think outside the box can create unique football bets from a combination of markets. Create your best bet with the innovative BetVictor Bet Builder. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. Yes, this is the Blue Day podcast, and for Chelsea fans everywhere, every day is a Blue Day. This is a special episode this week where we are going to be talking about a very special individual in Terry Venables. And to do that this week, I have somebody here that knows him personally and professionally. He worked with him for many years at Queen's Park Rangers. Steve Wicks is here as, as always. Steve, welcome back to the Blue Day podcast. How are you this week? I'm all right. I'm very pleased with the result yesterday. Any win against Spurs is a good one. So, or Tottenham is a good one. Uh, yeah. A shame it wasn't, you know, we didn't rub their nose in it and and uh, win by the uh, amount we should have done. Yeah, I, I mean, see how sort of things develop for the second leg. I wouldn't say... It's, there's one foot in the final, but we're knocking on the door. So see how, see how Spurs possibly react next week. But I've, I, I can see us going through to the final, and who knows? You know, we'll see how many trophies we could potentially win this season. But it's going to be an interesting week with Chesterfield as well in the FA Cup, and then potentially Man City in the league. I know there's sort of rumours spiralling that the game could be in doubt with them. So time will tell. But this episode isn't about the modern day Chelsea. This episode's going to be a little bit special uh, for those that appreciate the history of Chelsea Football Club. We're going to talk about a guy who started his career at Chelsea and has had one hell of a footballing career. And we're going to talk about him in great detail today. So if you're a fan of this individual, sit back, relax and enjoy while we talk about Terry Venables, who was born on the 6th of January 1943 in Dagenham. He is the only child of Fred and Myrtle Venables. And Steve, he started his career at Chelsea, as I mentioned, played in midfield. I was shocked when I saw the stats here. He made 237 appearances, scoring 31 goals. And just to sort of start things off, I don't think many people would know that about him with his appearances at Chelsea when he was at the club. Yeah. Keith, I think there was a time where he would have loved to have been 
manager of Chelsea. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I I know he did because he yeah. said to, to me that that was his prime job. That was the job he wanted. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that later when we sort of discuss his coaching career because I, 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 I want to get your thoughts on his coaching pathway and what clubs and nations he, he went to. But he, he signed as an apprentice at the age of 15. He won the FA Youth Cup in 1960 and 61. And he eventually made his debut for Chelsea on the 6th of February 1960 against West Ham. Steve, when you was a young boy coming up and you was enjoying your football, when did you first hear about Terry as a footballer? Well, funny enough, Keith, it was a game, Tottenham versus Fulham. And he was involved in a punch-up and got sent off with Fred uh, Callaghan. They both got <laughs> sent off. And that was the first time, really, that, I, you know, I was, I was a, you know, Terry was at Tottenham uh, and I was a Chelsea fan, obviously. And, um, you know, uh, but that's the, fir- the first sort of memory I have is him getting sent off. Uh, which was a very rare thing. He wasn't. He wasn't that type of bloke. He was um, usually very much in control and taking the mickey out of everyone else. While he was at Chelsea, he was he was successful. He did win the League Cup with Chelsea, but unfortunately, him and Tommy Doherty didn't see eye to eye on a lot of occasions, and famously fell out with Tommy after breaking curfew while Chelsea were up north, and. A few of the players at the time, Terry Venables, George Graham, Barry Bridges, Marvin Hinton, Burt Murray and Eddie McCready all went on a night out. And after that, Tommy Doherty was not happy with, with the situation and then placed Terry on the transfer list. Terry eventually left Chelsea to join Tottenham in 1966 and won the FA Cup in 1967. His playing career would then take him to Queen's Park Rangers and later with Crystal Palace, where his coaching career took off. Steve, just sort of while we're sort of on the subject of while he was at Chelsea, did Terry ever, did you ever have conversations with Terry or did Terry ever bring it up with yourself or other players about his departure from Chelsea? Was it something that was still playing on his mind a little bit or was it completely... Yeah, I think he, he felt... About? He, he was the scapegoat. He was the person. He was the sacrificial lamb. The, the, and the dot, because of Terry's personality, which is a bubbly, effervescent, you know, laugh a minute type person, uh, for some reason, Tommy blamed him and thought it was his fault that he was a bad influence on the other players. Um, I'm sure those players were big enough and ugly enough to have made their own decisions. But, uh, you know, the dot was like that. You know, the dot was ruthless. Um, and if Terry didn't fit in after then, then he, he had to move on for his own sake. Because as he felt, he felt that he really, his chances would be very limited at Chelsea under Doherty, so under Tom. Um, you know, so, you know, that decision uh, was made and, and Terry um, moved to Tottenham. And then it was at Crystal Palace where he got sort of the opportunity to get into coaching. And there was one thing I was going through with the research, Steve, and I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on it, if you, in fact, heard this. Is it true that he actually retired from playing due to having arthritis? Did you hear anything about that or yeah, is that rumours? He had a, a couple of bad ankles. He, was, he used to get a lot of pain in his ankles. Right. Um, and 
I think he got to a stage where he was having injections, but after the injections wore off, he was getting worse and worse and worse. And I think he then made the decision to make that move and to to start coaching. Because he was, he became assistant manager to Malcolm Allison, wasn't it? Yeah, Malcolm was a really good friend of his. Um, they got on really well. And um, if you remember, they had a very good cup run where they beat us, unfortunately, in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. Uh, and they went on to, I think, get knocked out by Southampton in the semi-final, 2-0. Um, mm. But for a third division club, it was a very, very, you know, great cup run for them. And Terry was very important in that whole thing. Terry then became the gaffer in 1976, excuse me, and they managed to get promotion to the first division. And it was a long time since Crystal Palace got into the first division. And after a successful spell there, and then things started to unravel a little bit, Terry then moved to QPR in 1980. QPR were in the second division at that point. Mm. This is when you had the pleasure of being part of the side at QPR. Just want to sort of start off with sort of talking about Terry as a coach, Steve. What was Terry's style of management like? Um, I get very annoyed when people, there was a word used, for, a lot of people say, oh, Venables, he's a bit of a spiv. <laughs> you know, he had a, so many hands in so many pies. Um, he wrote a TV um, um, serial. Uh, I can't I'll think of the name in a minute, but he was. He, but do you know what? I he was new to me because I've never ever played in such an organised team. Which basically, you finish your game. You finished on the Saturday. Obviously, Sunday off. You came in Monday. You talked over the game. You went through it. Win or lose, you uh, you had a talk. You went over a few things, um, and. From that time, the whole week was about the team you were playing on the Saturday. The whole week, all the all their free kicks came out, their formation came out. He put the reserves in their formation. You had a, an hours match against them in that formation that we had to play on Saturday. Everything was so professional; it was unbelievable. Uh, and what he did, we were working harder than I've ever worked with anyone physically harder and we were fitter than I'd ever been yet because of his personality and because how he did it you enjoyed it he made it enjoyable he always had a laugh he always had a joke he was always you know but but by the same token with Terry if you ever wanted to have a one-to-one when you knocked on his door you felt a bit nervous you know, he had that, that that unbelievable thing about being one of the boys, having a laugh, yet if you knocked on the door to have a chat with him, you felt nervous. And he's the only manager I've ever played for that if we lost, my first thought was, oh God, we've let him down. And I didn't really have that with anyone before I met Terry. That, but To me, that was just said everything about him because you knew how much work had gone in, how much preparation had gone in, uh, and you felt you'd let him down. But he was, he was 
absolutely a light year ahead of any other manager I ever worked for. It's been mentioned in recent documentaries about him that we'll mention later on that he set up his team to do a high press so mm. they would try and win the ball back in the team's half and then launch an attack of your own. Did Terry come up with ideas that perhaps were a bit different from what you've been expecting from other coaches? And, you know, was there sort of something about him that was special when it came to the coaching side of it, especially when you look at coaches of today and how they set up? Was Terry a little bit ahead of his time, do you think? Oh, not a little bit, Keith. He was, he was way ahead of his time. You know, he, he, the first time I ever co was coached by Terry was for England under 21. And I was so impressed with his, his coaching on, on a, what, three, four day period. He, he was fantastic. But what, what Terry did was, for instance, an example is we had two good fullbacks at QPR, Ian Dawes and, and Warren Neal. And he said, we started playing. And he, he shouted out, show him inside, which was never, you know, in the, in the, the FA coaching manual, it was always show a person down the line. Yes, it. Yeah. And the two boys went, what? They'd never heard it before. So he stopped the game. And he said, right, you're playing against a winger. What are their strengths? So, you know, Warren Neal said, well, they'd be quick and they've probably got a great left foot to, to cross the ball. He said, right. So when you show people inside, what are you doing? He said, I'll tell you what you're doing. You're showing people inside on their wrong foot. You're running them into your two centre-backs that can come through and win the ball. The worst thing a goalkeeper has to deal with is a cross from the byline and a centre-half. Centre your centre-half, if the ball's hit from the byline, it's a hard ball to win. And they're favourites because they're running in on it. And he went through all this and everyone was like, oh my God, he's right. He's right. But what Terry did with the high press was the nearest man to the ball, what he loved was their keeper kicking it. He loved that because we were good in the air and we could deal with anything. But when they rolled the ball out, the nearest man pressed and behind him, the midfield players pressed. And we came up as a back four. So we, we really did stunt the, the space for them to play. Now, nine times out of ten, we were like clockwork. So the centre four closed down, the midfield players up. We moved up. The, they panicked and hit the ball long. They were offside. Because they centre forwards were lazy. They didn't come... They didn't push up with you. They thought, oh, you know, what? all of a sudden they hit the ball. And I remember we played Leeds and we must have caught Leeds centre forward offside about, I don't know, about 40 times in the game. And the Leeds United fans were so frustrated that they were throwing seats at us as we went off. It was like, <laughs> it was unbelievable. They completely lost it. Yet we weren't playing offside. We were just pressing the space. And no one had come again, you know, I think the first year he was manager, I think we conceded 21 goals in a whole season, which was unheard of. Mm. You know, and, um, and, you know, 
everyone knew their, their role in that team because of the way he coached. And everyone knew what was expected of him. And he was the most talented coach. Ever. And to me, he had the ability to pull everything together. Like, like when he became England manager, he pulled the press together. He, pull, he pulled all the supporters behind the team. He had that magnetic way about him that got everyone together. And he was just an absolute joy to, to play play with and play under. In your experience, was there any players that perhaps didn't take to his coaching methods, that perhaps didn't take to his personality as a coach? Uh, yeah, Andy King didn't. Andy right. King, we, we signed Andy King, The doc, was it the doc or someone had signed Andy King before Terry got there. And Andy did not want to know about defensive. Well, all he wanted to do was play as a false 10, really, that didn't exist in those days. But play, you know, he didn't want to defend. He didn't want to get back. And Terry turned around to him and said in front of everyone, you know, if, you, if you're not prepared to do that, then you won't be part of this team. And he said it in front of everyone. Because Andy King had a, a bit of a pop at him. You're not paying to my strength. It's a shame he wasn't speaking to the Italian sky. It could have been a very uh, uh, sort of... Uh, but you don't, you're not paying to my strength. He said, well, what are your strengths? Tell me what your strengths are. Oh, I can score goals. I can get forward. I can do... He said, yeah, you can. But there are two sides to football. There's football when you've got the ball and football when you haven't got the ball. And when you haven't got the ball, you've got to do your bit for the team. And it perfect sense. Everyone knew what Terry was saying. But Andy King just... He, I think he ended up having a go swearing at him and, and walking out the dressing room. And that was it. He was gone in a week. Interesting. You talk about your time at QPR. He took QPR to the first division in 1983, but also guided QPR to the FA Cup final in 82. Yeah. Looking back on the achievements that Terry gained while at QPR... Especially with the FA Cup final, do you remember sort of Terry being sort of surprised with what he achieved with this particular team, and or was the was the players more surprised with what was being produced on the pitch and the results that came with it? Well, I think I think you know I, I was cup tied, so I couldn't play in that final, and I, I, it was a very hard time. Of, you know, um, but what I did see was uh, tactical brilliance. The semi-final against West Brom. Their real strength was Wilde and Alistair Robertson, two big centre backs that used to get tight to the centre forwards, and they were the heartbeat of that team. So what uh, Terry did was he withdrew Clive Allen to play deep, put Simon Stainworth on the right and Mike Fannigan on the left, and you could and the QPR players didn't like it. They thought they, the, the, we were paying them too much respect. The game started and after about five minutes, you've got John Wall and Al Al Alistair Robertson looking and shouting to the bench, we haven't got anyone to pick up. We haven't got anyone to pick up. Now, they couldn't play football. So it meant that QPR had extra players all over the park. And they could not get going. They, they, and I remember saying to him after the game, I said, tell your tactics today won that game. Your tactics won that game for us. And it was. It was brilliant. Uh, you know, and when I did coaching, it's really funny, Keith, when, you know, I had a great time in Malaysia and, uh, you know, we won the 
uh, Malaysia Cup final. We won the league. We won the FA Cup out there. We won the triple. First time it was done. And I remember going back to my room because I, I, when I'd won a, the biggest cup, and I couldn't drink orange juice and have a piece of the birthday cake. I had to go out and have a few beers, and I got all the boys up. And I started thinking about the game. I started thinking about what we'd achieved. And every single thing that I did, I looked back and thought, my God, that's Terry. <laughs> it was Terry's influence that was there. It's profound the way everything that we did at QPR, I did with them. Mm. You know, I got them fitter. We tied, we did the high press. We did everything that was taught to me at Terry was the way I believed football should be played. Before we talk about his departure at QPR, what fun stories have you have you got of Terry while being QPR manager? Because again, I've just sort of looked at some of the results and how he propelled QPR to being a competitive side. There must be some interesting stories, especially with the team that you had and sort of how Terry was as a personality. Well, I just think he, he used to. He always used to say one of his things was and. The, when we arrived back home at Shepherd's Bush, he used to have a say, he got everyone, he said, right, all I want you to do, he sorted out a wine bar. It was Julie's, uh, uh, just the other side of Chiswick. And he wanted us to go as a team after the game. You can have one drink and you can go. But as a team, win or lose, have a booze if you draw up some more. Because he thought that was a very, very important part of being a team, is going out together, having a, a glass of wine or two. We can all go home then. But it was just that bonding exercise that he felt that was good. It was only away from home. At home, you know, we did, but away from home, he used to encourage us being a team all the time. All the time, but he um, he was the most loyal person. Uh, you know, I remember Terry Fennick was picked to play for England. He got in the England squad for the first time, and he called us up into his room. Uh, he said, "I want to see you after." And I didn't know he he wanted to see Terry either. And we sat down in his room, and he said to Terry Fennick, "He said, have you thanked him yet?'" And Terry Fennick said, "What?" He said, have you thanked Steve yet? So, so he, said, he said, what are you talking about, Gaffer? He said, mate, he makes your job so easy and you look so good playing alongside him and you're the best partnership in the division and I think you should thank him. And it was like, well, and for me being a bit low about not being in the squad because I was playing the best football I've ever played, all of a sudden, him saying that meant more to me than Anybody saying it? Anybody saying it? And I, you know, I, and that's the way he was. He was the most loyal. If you did it for him, my God, he'd move heaven and earth for you. Fast forward a little bit. In 1984, QPR finished fifth in the league and thus qualifying for the UEFA Cup. After this, in the end of season, Terry got the job at Barcelona. What was the players' reactions to Terry leaving? And have you got any sort of stories or memories of sort of your last sort of time seeing Terry as your coach? Well, 
we we read about it really. We, we it was the end of the season, um, right. and he was doing a takeover at QPR at the time. He was had a consortium to go to take over QPR, and um, all I can say, Keith, when he left, it was like a bereavement. I've never seen so many players so down. I've never, in all my football, I've never ever seen a group of players so devastated that they lost their leader, their general. And it took us quite a long time to, to recover. It really did. And, um, you know, what made it worse was they employed Alan Mullery, who had fallen out with Terry. That they didn't get on at all well. Um, and he employed uh, employed Alan Mullery and it was quite funny because um, he said I'm not going to change a thing I'm going to keep it as it is but it, you know the ball went out to the to the winger and he shout shout it down the line shout it down the line you know and he went <laughs> no hold it a second you said you didn't want to change well, with Terry you know so we kept pulling him up and we went top of the league, I think, after about five, six games. We beat, not so as three nil, went top. And then we played Tottenham and got beat five nil. And then we had that epic game against Newcastle where we were five, four nil down at half time and end up drawing five five. But at half time when we were four nil down, he walked in and he said, do you know what you are? You're a bunch of flash venerable boys. Right, and bearing in mind, Keith, we hit the post and crossbar back three or four times in that first half. They had four shots at goal, and Waddle scored two of the most unbelievable goals, thirty-five yards. But we were four 0 down, and he walked out of the dressing room. So a few of the experienced players, John Gregory, myself, Terry Fennett, we got up and said, "Look, we hadn't lost at home for about eighteen months, you know, approaching two years." And uh, we said, "Right, boys, if we're going to go out." We're going to lose this. Let's go with some respect and fight. And we scored a goal after about five minutes of the second half. And then 15 minutes later, we scored another one. And the crowd's starting to get up a little bit. You're thinking, dear me, if we get one more, it's going to be interesting. And we scored with about 12 minutes to go to make it 4-3. And it's all like, and then Waddle gets the ball, leaves me on the backside. Goes down to the line, chips it across, and Beardsley scores to make it 5 3. So there's literally three minutes left. Um, they give away a free kick from the kickoff. I go up and I score 5 4. We are now in injury time. John Gregory plays a great ball through to, to Gary Micklewhite. He lifts it over the goalkeeper 5 all. It was probably the greatest comeback. I, I, it was it was absolute. And I'll tell you, had it been five minutes later, we'd have won that game if we'd have had four. But and you know, so he has to walk into the dressing room. They said, "I knew my team to talk would work." Right. So you all of a sudden you've got players, and then it went on. And there was a, the other funny thing was. Um, he got to a stage where he said, to the, the players, he said, I don't want to hear the name Venables. Whoever says the name Venables, I'm going to find two weeks' wages. Which he couldn't have done, but just to say it was, um, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And the boys were, they had a wicked sense of humour. The, the, the whole 
dressing room had a wicket. So the next game's Liverpool, Liverpool. And we draw 1 1. And we get a great win. We scored 20 minutes to go to make it 1 1. And we get a draw. And he walks into the dressing room as bold as he said, You never got a bloody draw up here when Venables was manager. And Warren Neal went, Two weeks' wages to that man there for mentioning Venables. He didn't know how to take it. He did not know how to take it. He didn't take it as a joke. No, but it was a joke. And he just yeah, yeah. turned around and walked out again. You know, it was, it was, it was what I call football banter. You know, yeah, that dressing room, you know, it was, it was, it was, you had to be quite brave sometimes in that dressing room because there were some real, uh, you know, boys that love to take the mickey. I'm trying to put that nice. Yeah. Sort of in regards to Terry going to Barcelona, it was obviously a, a, a lot different to him. And, Again, recent documentaries sort of has highlighted Terry's wish or desire, so to speak, to manage abroad. And he had a very good chance to do well at Barcelona, which he did. He won the league. He won the Copa del Rey. He lost on penalties in the European Cup final to a stout Bucharest, I, I, I believe. And a few years later, he sort of returned to England and he became the Tottenham Hotspur coach and sort of we'll mention the documentary's uh, name if, if if ever anybody's listening to this has got Sky or perhaps it might be on YouTube or if you can maybe find it on on the internet find Terry Venables if I can dream it's on Sky documentaries or it's on sort of any uh, Sky it'll be on the Sky search anyway but he was talking about his time at Barcelona and then his situation at Tottenham with Alan Sugar. And the fact that Terry and Alan Sugar became business partners. And then there was issues later on down the line with him and Alan. Steve, where was you sort of at, at this point in, in your career? So we were talking about sort of 87. So you was you was back at Chelsea at this point, wasn't you? So when you well, Terry... when you, yes, when... Um... When, when Terry came back Terry, to Tottenham, and then he had yeah, he was part yeah. he was he was the manager, and then he was looking to own Tottenham, and he had the dealings with Alan Sugar. There was obviously rumours surrounding Terry and his outside business influences, so to speak, that caused issues with him while at Tottenham. What yeah. what was your take on all this? Because this this became sort of nationwide news. This became sort of quite a big thing for Terry personally yeah. and. and Professionally, well, I, I I used to socially meet Terry for a, a glass of wine at the um, uh, Royal Garden Hotel, the Kensington Royal Garden, um, and he was very down about it. It's the first time really I, I'd seen him down. He mm. was really concerned. I think he was concerned because you know he wanted to manage England, and I, I think he felt that that would put him out of the if he was found guilty, that that would really put a dent in that uh, ambition. Um, but what was great, the people that believed in Terry were always there for him. You know, there was a lot of people that thought the world of him. You know, uh, you know, he went to Barcelona and I get this phone call and he's arranged a private jet for five of us to go out to see him for a glass of wine and fly back that night and we flew in the after we flew about I think it was two o'clock and we got back at I think at 11 o'clock at uh, Farnborough 
Um, and he just wanted to, you know, he missed, he, as he said, he said, oh, I really miss you boys. It's, it's not easy. I miss you. And I don't, didn't want you to think that I just left you. He said, because we are, we will, our paths will cross and, you know, and I, I want to, re, you know, remain friends with you. And I thought that was, again, one of the biggest compliments you could ever, he could have ever said to us. Um, but, yeah, he was, when he came back to Spurs, he'd won the FA Cup, hadn't they? They'd, they'd won the FA Cup by then, hadn't they? Yeah, that was in 91, yeah. Yeah, they'd, they'd won the FA Cup. They, they, he was doing the job that was asked of him. Um, and, you know, getting a very good team together. Um, and then the, the, the fallout with Sugar really did, you know, hit him hard. Mm. At a time where, as I said, I think he was he had one eye on the England job then. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, Steve, he eventually did get the England job. He replaced Graham Taylor after Taylor's unsuccessful stint as England manager. And England did not qualify for the World Cup in 94. Terry took over. What were your thoughts when he got the job? Did you feel that again he was the right man for the job? Do you feel it was sort of long overdue? What were your initial thoughts on? Personally, I think it was it was long overdue. I think it was probably um, everyone that had been um, England manager before that had failed miserably, um, miserably. Not not even you know. And I think with Terry, who, in my opinion, really was the first Pep, I think. He was the English Pep and he does, did a lot. And the other thing I'd like to say is that his influence at Barcelona rubbed off with Barcelona. You know, the, the losing the ball and trying to win the ball back in 20 seconds was a Terry Venable thing. Now that is trained now at Barcelona. Um, you know, when he became manager, I always thought England would be very close to winning the Euros. Very close. And I think the kick in the teeth after that great performance, let's be fair about it, in the semi-final against Germany, we were far the better side. <laughs> we were far the better side. And if Paul Gascoigne had put a long stud on instead of a, a medium stud, we'd have won in, the, in extra time. So we came that close. But what was more important was England played in a very bright way. They played as a team. They played with passion. The fans loved the way they played. And the togetherness was back. And what I can't understand then is when the FA turned around and offered him a contract till a year before the World Cup. Because it was the nearest, time, nearest thing to winning anything that we'd ever since 1966 um, and everyone was united surely the FA must say right you can take us into the next World Cup and because they didn't and because they wouldn't budge on it Terry was you know he stick up for himself um, and he said no I'm not going to do that and that to me was a great loss before we talk about Euro 96 in detail, we'll talk about the contract situation with Terry and how he left the role and with Euro 96 being his last first and last tournament for England. Sort of looking back, the FA were 
scared, frightened, so to speak, because Terry, even when as a player, he was never a yes man. He no. he stood by his sort of views. He stood by his morals. And again, because of perhaps the situation surrounding his business dealings that the BBC, for example, did a special on it, which was contested in court that Terry, from what I can gather, is still going through to this day. And then you had the issues with the FA trying to be squeaky clean and having sort of, you know, people that they can control, for example. With that and with everything else that sort of Terry's gone through, especially with Tottenham, that's all, that obviously played a part in England's decision by saying we'll only give him the one year's contract to 97 and not to have another go at the World Cup 98. Do you, do you think that that sort of scarred Terry in a way in regards to this was, again, the best job an Englishman could have is being the coach of your country and the FA treating him like they did. Because any other sort of human being, they could have walked there and then, but Terry took sort of courage on that and said, no, I'll lead my country to to the Euros. You know, at this point when you were speaking to him, did he have any issues? Did he sort of come to you and was there anything that you heard about with him in the FA and this issue of giving him a one-year deal or the or certain people within the FA not wanting him to be the manager at all? Yeah, well, he, he was, he was, he was, he, he couldn't believe that they would look that way. He felt that you know the for him to be judged on what he did on the football field and how he coached and how he looked after the England team. He felt that all the other things, you know, and let's be fair about it. If you, I did say to him once, I said, "Listen, so I know you, you're, you feel you're innocent, but do you think it's wise to take on Alan Sugar?" I said, "Because he's, you know, you're taking on a giant, a financial giant that you can spend huge amounts of money." And he said, "No, I just want to prove that I'm not the person he's painting me out to be." And I think that number one showed guts. Um, and number two, he did care about what people thought of him. Well, uh, he got he got barred from entering Tottenham's ground, didn't he, for a period as well yeah. under Alan Sugar. He 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 was not allowed to attend Tottenham matches no. while England manager. That would be unheard of in this day and age, wouldn't it? Well, it would someone be. like it Gareth Southgate. Be to be banned from somewhere like Arsenal or even Chelsea, for example, if there was any issues. That that, that was just crazy to think that that could have happened. Yeah, no, it, it, it was a crazy time. And it was, um, you know, I, I think he, he obviously, Alan Sugar was not happy uh, about certain things. I think the Eric Hall coming into Tottenham, I don't think he was too pleased about that. Um, there was lots of issues on the people that Terry lived his life around. Hmm. You know, I think Eric Hall was a big part of that. Um, he almost became like the acting agent for Tottenham. Um, and Eric, you either loved, loathed him or you loved him, you know, and uh, a bit Marmite. Um, but personally, I had a, he was where I spent time with Terry. When you got to know Eric, he was a he was a real 
character, a real character. And there was Jonathan Crystal, who was his lawyer. You know, there was lots of people that 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 were little entourage around Terry. Um, and Sugar wanted him to use his people, and wanted him. Um, and Terry felt comfortable with his, his own people. And I think he just said, you know, if you if you just let me run the club, I'll show you that it's going to work. But something went wrong. Um, Alan Sugar took exception. I don't know what caused caused it. I don't know the ins and outs. Um, but it was a great shame. A great shame for Tottenham. You know, because they were going well then. They were they were you know on the verge of something really good. Um, but no, it was it was a very sad time, and Terry's integrity got put through the mangle. But people that know him would never lose lose that respect for him. Back to 1996. For those that are listening to this that are perhaps too young and don't remember, how good was Euro '96 for an Englishman, Steve? Oh, it's brilliant. It was, uh, you know, it was full of people that were sceptical. It was just before that they had the uh, drinking uh, escapade in Hong Kong. That's right. <laughs> uh, um, you know, they thought, here we go again. But by the time it started, there was this unbelievable feeling in amongst the players as well. The players felt they could win it. The belief that was building up in that squad. And what Terry did, he used the Hong Kong thing to, to put a fence around everyone and use it to an advantage. The siege mentality, let's show them what we can do. Let's be together now. Let's, let's answer our critics. Let's go out and let's play. And he was, he was a great person that made negatives into positives. And when the England fans saw the way they played and they saw the way that, that they were being taught to play, this belief began, just like Euros, the last Euros, you know, the belief began to to, to rise and the, 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 the press people weren't having a go at Terry. They loved him because he'd always do a story. He'd always sit with them, give them time and treat them because a lot of them were his mates. A lot of them, you know, Martin Samuel and people like that were his mates. They used to have a drink on a Wednesday. So everyone got together and it was the most brilliant atmosphere, most brilliant atmosphere. Um, and the thing that upsets me more than anything, apart from the English perspective about I'd love to see England win a, a trophy was the fact that if you look at Terry, if he'd have won the Champions League or the European Cup as it was, and he'd have won the Euros and he couldn't have got closer in either of those two games, he would be looked at as a phenomenon as an England manager, as an English manager. Because at that time, I think only Samat and probably Cluffy had done it. But Terry had so, you know, he, he was so close to being something that he should have been with his ability, a little bit of luck. And he'd have been one of the greatest English managers there have ever been. Everything falling into place. You had sort of the squad with leaders and the likes of Tony Adams and Alan Shearer, big personalities. Yeah. And Paul, you know, players like Paul Lintz, Jamie Redknapp, Paul Gascoigne and Akalaba, David Seaman. You had, again, Wembley being a sellout and the type of football that's been played, beating Scotland 2-0, beating Holland 4-1, which not many people would have predicted before the match. 
even the song Free Lions as well, that being sung before the games as well. And then you've got the penalty shootout win against Spain with Stuart Pearce scoring the penalty and his iconic celebration as well. Everything falling into place. But then England get knocked out by Germany on penalties. Terry's last game as manager. And looking back, and I've seen sort of the full match between England and Germany sort of since since 96 and sort of doing part of the research. How England got knocked out of 96, do you think that that affected Terry mentally? And the reason why I say that is because when you look at his coaching career from 96 onwards, his last, say, top job wasn't until 2002 when he took over at Leeds and he didn't even last a season then. It was sort of quite a period from... 96 to then that he was in and out of the game he took sorry jobs he was the Australia manager he was then one of the coaches at Middlesbrough to help out Brian Robson he was then sort of working in other quarters as well I think he went back to Crystal Palace as well do you think the England how that all ended affected him mentally yeah, well, I think the thing is, Keith, that was always Terry's. He was a very proud Englishman, an extremely proud Englishman, and to him, that had been that would have been the ultimate job that that, that you could have. Um, yeah, I think it did upset him. I think he he did. He, you know, when he took the Australian job, we all looked at each other and thought, w- w- why? Why are you to make a point or to no one understood because it was so but then he turned around and he said, You know what? With what went on, I just had to get away. I felt so upset. Did about he have it. to get away from the English sort of media or the English presence that would have probably followed him near enough every day after Euro ninety six? Was it a case of he needed to leave the country? He's so gutted with what happened that I, I think he felt if I can just get away from all this and just get away and just be far enough away and just get on with something some kind of project then yeah it's it's funny because I uh, you know I I was playing golf and I had a, a very sceptical friend of mine who, who didn't like Terry Venables and we were having a conversation and we were doing the Henry Cooper Classic in Portugal and we, were, we had about 20 people around a, 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 a table and someone said to me, who's the best manager you ever worked for? And my mate, he was sceptical, said, oh, he's going to say Terry Venables, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I said, if you spoke to anybody that worked with him, you'd all, all say the same. And there was another golf tournament going on and they all came in and David Seaman was there. And I called David Seaman over and I said, David, who's the best manager you've ever worked for? Now, at that time, he was with Arsene Wenger. You know what he said, don't you? Yep. Terry Venables. Yep. And I turned around to Max, my mate, and I said, there you go. It's not just me, you know. And the other day on uh, Football Focus, they were talking about Newcastle and Alan Shearer was being interviewed. 
And he was asked the question, who was the best Newcastle manager you ever worked for? Who was the best manager that you ever worked for? And he said to Bobby Robson. And the other one he said was Terry Venables. Gary Lineker also says that. You know, so... Would you say Terry's the best manager that you've worked under? Not the best manager. Best manager by a light year. Right. The best. The best. Everything. You know, if you got injured and you're on the in the treatment room for a week, it was like missing A-level where he'd moved on and he'd gone to you know, he had free kicks. He had ten free kicks, and he used to, and he had special names for the, well, numbers for the free kicks. And you walk past, and he goes three, and you had to tell him the three. You know, he it, it just everything was just bright as a button. The brightest, brightest manager. Just a couple more questions before we do wrap this up for this week. I want to talk, sort of, go back to Chelsea, if if I can, Steve, and. Throughout his management career, you know, there was obviously rumours of him going to different clubs before deciding that he would go to the particular clubs that he did go to. Were you surprised that he never got the Chelsea job? Were you surprised that he never became the Chelsea manager? Because I know from stories that he could have got the job. There were stories that perhaps there was maybe him being linked along with other managers were you surprised he never got the job? Um, I would have been if I hadn't been at Chelsea at the time. But knowing Ken Bates, as I do now, I think every time a Chelsea manager got more popular than him, he got the sack. (laughs) So I think that Ken would have been very wary of the fact that Terry was a very charismatic and people loved him. And I think that Batesy would, you know, he had an ideal opportunity with, with when Holly, you know, I, I I told him something and, you know, and this was when... Was this after Barcelona? Was this... Was this yeah, this is, yeah, this this is after going, Barcelona job, yeah. Job, yeah, so, yeah, this is about 89, 88, 80, and the, sorry. Yeah, 88, 89. Um, Holly got the sack and he was supposedly looking for a new manager. And I had a conversation with him and he said, over my dead body. Uh, and he appointed, he appointed Bobby Campbell. Mm. Now, I know I was, you know, mind you, Bobby did well, bless him. He did all right, and he was all right. I worked with Bobby quite a lot, and he was a he was a good man. He was good a good coach. man. Yeah, heard, good man. I've heard many good things about Bobby yeah, Campbell. He was man. a very very fine coach. Just sort of one thing more to wrap this up. Yeah, we've we've discussed Terry and sort of what kind of coach he was and what kind of man he was as well. A sum up for us, Steve. What kind of individual Terry was, and what he meant to you, and what he's meant to many other footballers of that certain generation, you know, the, even from the 70s, the 80s and 90s, where he, he's affected a lot of players' lives and helped people's careers 
developed to the point where they probably would not have done if they hadn't have met Terry. So just sort of, if you can, just sort of sum up, you know, whether or not with a story or a particular memory you've got of Terry, what what kind of man he was? Um, he was a man that set standards in your football life. He, what he expected was for you to work your socks off. His great saying was, if you ever turn around after your career and say, if only, the two words you should never, ever say, if only, then you haven't given your best shot. This is the greatest life in the world you could ever wish to have. Whatever happens to you, don't say the words if only. He also was a leader, a fantastic leader, who was passionate about his players. Passionate. He, he was uh, just... Once uh, you work with him, the standards to... Now, I'll tell you how I'll put it. Playing under Terry was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me in my football career. It was uh, a real honour to have played for him and played and, and to experience him. A real honour. Um, and, yeah, just the best. And if you ask, as I said, most people to work with him, they will also all say the same. Terry Venables was number one. And the sad thing for me was that um, he wasn't kept on as England manager because he loved that job. And I, under him, I think with the players that we had, um, I think maybe the semi-final against Germany in Italy might have been very different. No, not not Italy, is it? Sorry. Where are we? I've lost my... I was getting quite emotional there. Uh, 96 against Germany. Yeah, yeah. 96 with Germany. So the next World Cup was where? Mexico? No, the 98... Uh, France 98. France 98. I think with the team that England had and the players England had, he could have developed that squad and I think he could have gone quite a way into that tournament. But we never know and it's one of the... It's a, one of the saddest things, really, that uh, he wasn't given the opportunity after he's showing his manager to lead England into the, the next World Cup. Well, I think we've you've put it right and you've said some fantastic things about Terry and we hope he's had a good birthday. And we hope that he's he's had a good one with his family and... Steve, I just want to sort of say on behalf of the podcast, you know, thank you for sharing your stories and memories of El Tel as he was as he was uh, named in uh, Barcelona, and we're we're hopefully going to do more of these sort of player profiles more this this year as well, Steve, and it will be sort of something that we can discuss about other players and other individuals that sort of made their mark both at Chelsea and both in the sport of football. So. For those of you that are looking forward to more of the player interviews, we are looking to do some for the rest of this season and beyond. But if for those of you that perhaps are not aware, we have had some many 
great player interviews that we've done since the Blue Day podcast started. Of course, we've done one with Steve Wicks that was done last year. We've also done one with recently with Pat Nevin, players like John Dempsey, Bjarni Goldbeck, Sean Wright Phillips, and so much more. Subscribe to the Blue Day podcast via, you can do it via YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and now Amazon Music. We are now part of Amazon Music as well, which you can find us on there. Also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But for those of you, again, that perhaps have not seen it yet on Sky or perhaps would want to find it on YouTube, try and find it if you can, if you haven't got Sky. But the Terry Venables documentary, If I Can Dream, it's got a great detailed look into his career and it's been great actually to talking about him with somebody who knows Terry quite well in Steve Wicks both as a former player and as a good friend to him so we wish Terry all the best we hope that you've enjoyed this episode and well the only thing that I can say on this show is stay safe and carefree Podcast Network.